Peace Africans, my name is Erica, and I am a co-editor of Hood Communists, and I want to welcome you to Hood Communist Radio. For today's episode, I sat down with Dr. Jared Ball. He's an Africana Studies professor at Morgan State University, as well as the co-founder of Black Power Media. For today's episode, we discuss the battle of ideas in pop culture, media, and entertainment, the struggle to develop a conscious masses within the eternal colony, the through line of themes in Dr. Ball's work, and what's still left to be done. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. Oh, I wanted to have a conversation with you because um, I know I tell you all the time that I love your first book, but that was really my first introduction uh, to your work through Dr. Charity Clay. Um, and she had a Say Word BC, which was a book club that was on Twitter way, way, way back. Um, and we were reading I Miss What I Like, a hip hop manifesto. And you were the first author, I remember, um, since I've been a part of that book club, to come and engage the reading with us. But like more importantly, I remember being enthralled with the book um, because I grew up in a very, very large family. Um, so there's always a variety of things being watched. So naturally, I consider myself a pop culture expert. <laughs> but two things shifted uh, my view of pop culture or maybe rather the use of it. Um, I remember I discovered a video of Bell Hooks discussing pop culture and critical thinking. And then shortly after that, I got my hands on your book and you were just laying out what I like to say were the colonial aspects of the industry or the entertainment industry and how that shifted not only how it's made, but how it's consumed. So I know you've been self-critical of the book for personal and editorial reasons, but I just wanted to you to speak to maybe the inspiration for the title and what motivated you to write the book. So, no, I've always been <clears throat> very humbled by yours and Dr. Clay's early support of the work. Uh, and and you all did exactly what I was hoping would be part of what people's reaction to it would be. Uh, trying to make use of it and uh, further or uh, radicalize and organize uh, with help from it. Um, in fact, I did used to fantasize that because it would be a little paperback that people would in the way I used to carry other people's work it would be shoved in people's pockets as they were doing some of the most radical activity like that was kind of the fantasy but I mix what I like a mixtape manifesto was uh, my attempt to to um, collapse uh, my intellectual interests and what I was learning through the graduate program uh, getting the, the PhD in journalism and what I had learned through the Africana Studies and Research Center under the directorship of James Turner, and my efforts with a grassroots political organization in D.C., uh, shout out to Organize Coup, uh, to develop the, at the time, the rap music mixtape CD as an alternative communicative journalistic network, uh, ultimately you know, emancipatory journalism uh, project. Um, and the, the short of it is, is that once I had, you know, learned through a lot of other, all the luminaries of activists and radical thought and come to the, to more or less the conclusion that black people in the United States should be conceived of and interpreted as, and seek to respond as an internally held colony, uh, everything else just sort of fell into place. And then I just noticed in all the literature that I was either being forced to read or interested in reading that there was a constant reference to structural issues or maybe the colonialism of some subset like the like, you know, the you know, the colonialism of of language or the, you know, the colonizing uh, uh, art form or the colonizing uh, politician or whatever, but without an, without ever really thinking about, well, why are these things colonizing? What makes them colonial? What makes a media project colonizing? Well, it's the colonialism and the pro the relationship, that colonial relationship uh, that precedes all that, that nobody seemed to be writing about and not, certainly not in terms of what was considered hip hop studies at the time. Uh, 
and uh, uh, and then almost nobody on another level was looking at the r role of the mixtape. And I was a, always a huge fan of the mixtape and thought it did reveal all these things about communicative networks and the role of media. Uh, so it was, it was, so anyway, so I was just trying to say, you know, let's use the mixtape and that particular aspect of hip hop history to, uh, uh, and because I was in a communication and, and a journalism, uh, uh, grad program, how was this in terms of communication exposing those colonial ties in, in that relationship? Uh, and so, yeah, I am incredibly self-critical about, <clears throat> A number of aspects, a number of things about the book, but what I'm in, what what I remain almost equally proud of is the attempt to do something that I think maybe still be kind of um, uh, seminal in that 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 look at the mixtape and how um, uh, internal colonialism impacts uh, the producers of those mixtapes and the cultural expression more broadly. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's it. So, again, I, I, I'm always thankful to you and others for having been supportive of that work. Yeah, I think um, it really helped me understand colonialism on a very basic level, because at that time, especially on Twitter, it was very popular, you know, to decolonize everything. But I don't think people had like a concrete understanding of colonialism right. um, and primarily because it was based on the entertainment industry and you know i just knew all about that um the particular arguments that you were making about record labels and artist sovereignty i don't think that um is something that i've come across and it really put things in perspective um basically uh there was i i remember that you noted that artists were encouraged to go after consumers for theft as a way to distract from the actual theft occurring in the industry but now that the industries have learned to adapt and they sort of stamped out the mixtape era um, that was that I value. Like I remember datpiff.com and, and those right. places that just are sort of, I mean, they still exist, but not in that same way. Um, so do you still see the same sort of artist-consumer relationship um, existing with these streaming services? Because I'm thinking about the ways artists sort of place an onus on consumers to not use the services. Um, even though they're essentially affordable without really charge, challenging the people um, who are actually paying them little to nothing. Well, <clears throat> so uh, some of this in terms of, I would need to be caught up on some of the details, I'm sure, but, but from what I have seen over the years, there has been some pushback from major artists uh, you know, Taylor Swift got a lot of attention for it, obviously, but other people for pushing back on the way Spotify and all these other online platforms take advantage of the artists. Uh, and it's been revealed that by now they're paid less per digital download than they were per sale back in the day. Uh, so artists to make any real money using these digital platforms have to get <clears throat> ridiculous amounts of, you know, hundreds of millions of spins or, or downloads or streams uh, to make any real money. So there has been some pushback on that. And, and so what I, so, so part of what you were asking about was, was the argument that, that, that I and others were making at the time that, you know, uh, in the rock world, you know, Lars, what's uh, Lars also with uh, Lars, uh, whatever, Lars, the drummer from Metallica was like leading the, the charge against his audiences illegally downloading his music and saying, you're killing our our you know careers and our whatever uh they you know, had napster, i remember right? i'm sorry with napster right with napster and all that other stuff and 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 there were some i, I want to say they at one point i seem to remember they had missy targeting the black audience saying you know when you when you you know bootleg our stuff you heard us i think mary J was in one of those commercials and stuff like that and i'm like there's there's no way you will convince me that the amount of so-called illegal piracy is having more of a negative impact than the initial contract you signed with these people in the first place. I mean, there's just no way that uh, um, you, you anyway. So so it was it was just kind of clear that they were being used to, to you know, and the uh, RIAA at the time, the Recording Industry Artists Association of America, something like that. They were the the the, the lobbying watchdog for the, the music industry and they were hiring these people to produce these commercials 
I seem to think that because the industry has done so well at taking over the digital platform space and the so-called above board legal internet, I, t I haven't seen that kind of pushback. Uh, I can't, I don't see it happening as much lately uh, in terms of artists coming out to, to target pirates and all this other kind of stuff. What, uh, um, what I have seen them, again, sort of to the contrary with the Taylor Swift example is they come out to challenge the industry a little bit uh, uh, um, encouraging some reflection, and then I know like Talib and and most uh, uh, Yasin Bey came out with their album on an alternative platform to try to highlight the 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 contradictions there, um, which seem to be more appropriately focused at the industry itself. Uh, um, so I'm just wondering if, and I don't know, I haven't thought enough about it. Uh, um, I'm interested to hear what you think, but I, I'm wondering if that's because the companies have done so well at taking over the digital space that the only thing left to target, to rationally make an argument for uh, is the uh, handful of corporations doing that. Um, but I haven't seen enough of, uh, uh, I still, particularly when I talk to students in the classroom, uh, I still don't hear enough of an analysis evolving out of all that criticism beyond the sort of vague what we always know. It's like, yeah, every, you know, the industry is shady, this, that, and the third. But in terms of revealing that that relationship, which is so important to me, uh, I don't see it rising to that level. Uh, and then um, uh, with relative success and the promotion of the relative, relative success of enough black artists uh, and certainly the white ones, I think that there's enough of a propaganda wave coming from the ruling elite to convince people that despite what you might hear from Taylor Swift or Kanye West or somebody complaining here or there, um, this is still the best avenue. Uh, and it, uh, uh, or maybe you can do it as an independent on the Internet and, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, do it independently and and use the wonderful technology of of the Internet. And now with NFTs and blockchain, you can go off and you can circumvent the industry, which is a new wave of that propaganda. Uh, right. I think there's enough of that to deflect away from uh, the the even observable. Uh, critiques right. against the, the industry that are uh, have been made think, over the last few years. I think, interestingly enough, there's you see artists now getting like they're making investments into these streaming services, like sort of if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. Um, I know Joe Budden talked about you know artists needing to unionize, um, mm -hmm. and then also like, yeah, I think you made some really good points. I'm thinking about the ways that the stream the streaming services have gone and just watching how people are attempting to adapt to it. Um, like Tidal, for instance. Tidal was supposed mm -hmm. to be like the breakthrough thing for artists, and Tidal does not pay their artists, just the same. Um, I mean, Kanye West is still trying to get his money uh, from Tidal, so I can't even say they pay at least the bigger artists, but you do have that stream of, I guess, you know, well-known um, entertainers. And Tidal might be better than Spotify like and you know, Spotify right. might be better than iTunes or iTunes might be better than iHeartRate, whatever. But but it's still leading up to you need hundreds of millions to make right. any real money. So you need to be enormously famous uh, or whatever to do to do well. Uh, and the amount of people who make nothing is overwhelming. So, you know. So I'm going to um, pivot just a bit. Still still talking about the book, but um, not maybe so much about that portion um, you also have a particular focus on black media in the book um, that I recognize in your overall work. So I just wanted to know if you could speak about the utility of publications like Essence and Ebony and how they have framed your understanding or just mass understanding of what black life is supposed to be. Well, I think especially now, I mean, by now, I think I'm, I'm, it's just, a, I think, a, a major problem of uh, how do we You know, the commercial black press has just gotten away with a ton because it can present itself as being the alternative and can present itself as leading the charge on certain um, liberal issues or popular cultural issues. But uh, but what they've really adhered to is a very black capitalist uh, uh, logic and, 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 and have really attempted to... Uh, preserve themselves. And when people really look into the histories of the black press carefully beyond 
the headlines, pun intended. It's really very clear that there has been this internal struggle over, you know, uh, we want that bourgeois black version of a white middle class lifestyle. And if we need to <clears throat> full on sell out uh, radical endeavors or just simply, you know, suppress them or you know, omit them, so be it. And whenever there's a criticism, they can just easily come back and say, you know, uh, we're doing everything we can, we're, we, we do all this well, we represent this, we're at every that. Uh, but um, uh, that's really what, what, what I think has, has emerged for me as, a, as kind of a crisis uh, in how people interpret the, the, the black press. Um, they have done historically, and I think to, to particularly today, they get credit for having done you know what has happened you know almost 150 years ago at this point. But there, it isn't that the black press doesn't now or has not ever done important things and played an important role in black communities. But but that point about class and it's it, again adherence to black capitalism and ultimately a white bourgeois fantasy of what black life can be is is is. I think having a net negative impact on black political consciousness. Um, but it's hard to, it, it's, I, I think, very difficult to raise that critique and, and have it be moved anywhere. Um, in, in part because the black, <clears throat> I'll say this, anyone who's been honest about their ever having been at, a, for instance, a National Association of Black Journalists Conference Will, will recognize in, in vivid real time, you know, real time, that ultimately what everybody there is doing is trying to network to get jobs in black commercial and ultimately white commercial presses. And <clears throat> that general uh, trajectory uh, obvious, you know, creates obvious contradictions and problems for what the output of the, the, the media and journalism right. will be. You know, I think so. like careerism it's like the what happens to politicians too. Like when people say yeah. like you know local pol local politics matters, and then they don't consider that a lot of these people have careerist sort of aspirations. So yeah, they start they're going to start locally, of course. That's you start at the ground, but that doesn't mean they intend to stay there. But that leads me to and my even oh god, and just quickly, I'm sorry, just but it also means that people even trying to do re real, they're like honestly well meaning. There are people who get caught up in the black press and local black politics who think and honestly mean to do well. But it, mm -hmm. but what it also says is that the structure that they're working in isn't going to let them. So right. you, you, you go into those structures and then you are held in that space or f kicked out. Uh, but there's no pathway up. And, that, and that's the that's the anyway, that's the all those glass ceilings that everybody talks yeah. about in every category. I was going to say that leads me to my uh, next question, because in April, like I messaged you, I wanted to have this conversation with you primarily because of your appearance on the Revolutionary Blackout um, alongside BPM members. And it was something that you noted in the discussion about good times, uh, no less, <laughs> that made me think <laughs> about something that I had uh, wrote for her communists around that same time called Culture Wars um, and the lessons we still aren't learning. But the piece... But the piece that I wrote, I'm speaking specifically about the late 80s era of political commentary TV. So while like the context of our discussions may have been different uh, or what we were talking about may have been different, I felt like we were both speaking to the political use of media. So I would like for you to expound on that. Like, is TV ever just TV? Uh, what about black TV? And is there even such a thing? Yeah, I, I, the short answer is I don't think it, I'm more convinced now than I've ever been that that no, there's there was a line Fanon wrote years ago somewhere. I can't you probably know, but he wrote somewhere something like there's there's never an un, nothing is unconsciously racist. It was his point. It was something like that, like in a colonial setting, every there are no accidents there's no like, oh, that poem, we didn't really realize that we were saying that. We didn't really, you know, everything is intentionally, you know, consciously anti-black, anti-African, racist, colonialist. And I think that way about it, like there is no, there is no just TV. There is no, 
again, even the, the, the specific maker of a TV product or a radio or a media product who may themselves think, I'm trying to just do something good or I'm just trying to have some fun or I'm just trying to blah, 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 blah. Even when, even, even that is, is, is uh, reconstructed or construed in the form that, that the, 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 the colonial setting requires. So it's, it's always going to be used for that purpose. And I, to me, conscious, unconscious, subconscious is irrelevant at this point. So, so, and that's why I keep saying, especially when we like it. What was his name? James Richardson was the professor's name. We didn't agree. He was my professor back in undergrad. We didn't agree on anything. But he did say you must interrogate your preferences. And I've always credited him for that. I've always loved that phrase. Interrogate your preferences. Even So especially when we like something, we have to be very clear about what is it that it's targeting in us and how is it delivering that colonial message in such a way that we're saying we like it? Because I just don't think anything. There's nothing that is, uh, 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 and maybe even at this point, that's not even attached to the commercial institutional process. I think in so many cases, the the, the tentacles of colonialism and and uh, and um, construction of perspective makes everything we're doing some form of whatever but but uh but certainly not certainly these mainstream products there's no way uh and then and then the, again the more i've learned is that the, the, so much of it is consciously done for that purpose the 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 state the corporate world the advertising world the the alphabet uh agency groups are all i mean they spend so much time and energy and money and effort into studying and involving themselves and, and, and manipulating that we, we can't, there is, yeah. So nothing is, is free of, uh, uh, of, of, of that context. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm currently reading June Jordan's a civil wars, um, book, mm. and there's a piece that she has in there where she talks about a movie called the cool world, which I've never seen. Um, the cartoon is it is that what it is no the cool world i think i think it's an actual no when did she write this she wrote Sorry. this I'm, I'm thinking something i'm wrong yeah she, it would, it yeah so this would have been way before what i'm talking about anyway yeah, i'm sorry it was yeah, written no, by I'm, warren miller a white okay. man I'm, she she intentionally points that out but what it does um and it made me think about one of my favorite movies i love i love 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 Claudine. like love <laughs> but um the way that she talked about, they just basically picked up these kids off the streets of Harlem to act out their lives in a sense. But when she interviewed those kids, there was like a disconnect. Like they understood their role, but then also was seeing this as a good thing or a positive thing because it wasn't outright like racist. <laughs> so they, you know, and then uh, talking to the, the leading actor who was plucked off the street, um, a lot of what he was saying was like, you know, he just hoped that this opened doors where he can get into a better school, possibly, because he liked reading. This like, oh, this helped him. Like people on the set were giving him books to read. And then he was hoping, well, you know, eventually maybe I can become an actor. But like everybody on the set sort of knew, like, that's not really going to happen for you. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and then even the storyline of it, it's, yeah, it's one of those like, you know, uh, it's about a child who had, you know, if he was only given these opportunities he could have succeeded but he didn't have these opportunities so his wife went this way and that was basically the actor and i was thinking about claudine and the subtle messaging like the anti-radicalism of the son like they made the son like he was absolutely nuts <laughs> so even when these movies are supposed to be i guess for us in a sense because the difference with claudine it was like more black hands on it but there was all white people in the background somewhere and that's why i thought about the good times thing that you were saying because it's just like the way that we are given, especially in that time, like Cornbread, Earl and Me. Like, I love all those movies by heart. Yeah. <laughs> but like, when you think back, <laughs> it's like, what was, the, what was the actual use of those movies, especially during that time where there was so much happening on the streets? So I think about so, that a lot. I agree. I do, too. And I need to go back. I need to watch Claudine again. I need to go back. I, I, um, I'm Because maybe it's been you, but it's been... 
for some reason, I feel like that film has been brought up. Anyway, it's probably uh, me. Probably you, yeah. But, but <laughs> if, if, yeah, uh, um, you've created you know, an echo chamber. Yeah. Um, but, but I do think about, you know. So on the positive side, I think you know that 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 folks like you and I and others could survive some of that media and still get to where we are politically as maybe rare as we might sometimes think it is, I think is is the hope. And, and it, it reminds me of why they do so much to produce all that, because they know that if they like like it has been said, if they lift the, the foot off our neck that much more, so much more would, would erupt. Um, and that's why I think so. Yeah. You know, but but um, uh, uh, but anyway, but certainly the, that the, the 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 clarity with which those in power have with a good degree, a great degree of forethought laid out this idea that, you know, we we have to, from their perspective, we have to shape a media environment that's going to help us manage this thing. Otherwise, there's going to be continuous problems. Um, so, and we have to also remember just, I mean, there's just so much in that, even in just, just those one, those few examples, the, 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 the Hollywood, the media system emerged again, largely because the elite white folks in this society wanted a politicized entertainment, quote unquote, entertainment distraction for the masses that would keep them out of the opera houses, away from ballet, away from the elite physically and, you know, and you know, uh, um, intellectually, uh, artistically, et cetera. Uh, so from, again, from the beginning, even, uh, and it predates this as well, but from the beginning of just of this country, the, 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 the whole context was arranged specifically for these purposes and then tailoring it, itself to, to, uh, uh, black people, uh, it was. It took on a very colonial purpose. So again, there may be a broad project of needing to address itself to a number of different communities, but when black people are involved, that's where that colonial process kicks in, and we can see all of it playing out in this. These examples alone: white people controlling the stories that will be told of the colonized, even as the colonized are involved. And and that example was reminded the way you were describing that film, which I'm not familiar with. I, I'm going to go see it later. Uh, yeah, the cool yeah. world um, reminds the way you were describing it kind of made me start to think of that film kids like a like a black version of that film that disturbing <sighs> film kids that I know bell hooks was critical of and that that piece you mentioned earlier um, that is still kind of traumatizing to think about but that whole thing of we're going to pretend like we're 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 grabbing reality from the streets and from the experiences of these people and the, and the trauma and all the other things that are involved are being created is, is ignored or I don't know, dismissed right. anyway, I, you know, or they so. send them right back to the trauma. And the thing right. for me with Claudine is it's like, it's a particular messaging, right? Like you have all this criticism against the welfare state, but mm. then you also are like making the son who takes action against said state, like he's out of control. He's just like, you know, this, like it's a growing pain. This is just what the youth do, the youth protest, but it's not, you know, but they'll grow up and they'll get over it type of messaging. <laughs> but like, it seemed very liberal to me in, in hindsight. Cause it's like, they do make the criticism against the welfare state. Like that's clearly what the movie is about, but to an extent, mm. like, but don't do nothing about it. <laughs> just complain, like that sort of thing. Um, Oh, I'm just looking it up now. Lawrence Hilton's in this too. I didn't remember that. This dude, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. I mean, so he was. This dude has been in like every major event of my media life. <laughs> Claudine Cooley High. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Welcome back, Cotter. Damn, yeah. Anyway, my bad. One of my Sorry. Anyway, I, yeah. again, I'm, <laughs> like I mentioned, I watch almost everything. I have like cousins who are significantly older than me, so I watch all of that. And then TV Land, so yeah, it keeps so it I have all an iPhone That's right. kid. <laughs> um, but yeah, right. So, I didn't mean I didn't mean to suggest earlier that you were uh, my age. My bad. I wasn't oh no, saying no. That. I was saying, when I was saying we overcame that. this media. I wasn't trying to say that. I was saying you know. no. Um, but I do have I do have close cousins who are so like in raising mm -hmm. and watching me. I've come to see a bunch of things I probably had no business watching, but 
that's why I always say like I, I'm it wasn't until your book that I started to be a little more critical like you know I had opinions about what I watch but now even as I'm watching Housewives of any one of the franchise I'm like mm, they go to anti-communism mm, like <laughs> you can spot it now and it's very subtle but they would always pluck the one immigrant from Vietnam or the one immigrant from Bosnia that had to run away. <laughs> you know, but now they're super rich and wealthy because they left communism. Like that, like it's it's always that sort of tale. <laughs> so you can see it yeah. now. <laughs> Where I've been watching Housewives since it is like I think it started like 2006 or something, and I think it's only in these last couple of years. And I'm like, hmm. What's the politics of and, Bravo? <laughs> and, the, and the schools, they do the same thing. They're, they're literally, and this is, again, I'm, I'm, I struggle with my major contradictions sending my children to these schools, but I, I'll, you know. But they still well, literally use this. But they still use the same, literally the same books that they gave me. They're giving my children. Uh, in particular, that one about the I keep, the, the the book that read something about the the, the the Chinese immigrant, the girl that escapes Mao's China and comes here and is successful. They gave me that book, so I'm saying I'm like they're not even writing new stuff. They're no. not even always updating the stuff. They're literally regurgitating. And as you said, they, that is a, a, a definitely a running theme. They're like. Who can we find from Eastern Europe or the or the East that we can, you know, hold up as a subtle or not so subtle reminder that capitalism is it's it's so anyway, but 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 just very quickly to that last point you were making, what I have to admit this that that having a, a precursor in Africana studies and and sort of that that one oh one revolutionary literature one oh one that I had read before graduate school, um it was really reading from the Western European, the white writers themselves, the foundations, the, the reading the research, that early communication studies research, actually reading it in that sort of from like in that sort of raw source way that was was really the, the I don't know, I was, you know, that really clarified it the most because they're very I mean, it was. For instance, like a lot of that early debate wasn't about our media uh, um, powerful. It was in what ways. That was the only debate. There was no room for they don't do anything or it's just entertainment. It was really all about a, a, an argument over how much of an impact and how manageable was that impact. Um, but they were always very clear, like, you know, um, even those who seemed to be critical of the project were, were critical from a pro-American, pro-capitalist, like we want to perfect the messaging so we don't, uh, um, you know, ruin this perf perfect democracy we're creating um, type stuff. I mean, it's, it's it, anyway, so, yeah, anyway, that's it. So <clears throat> emancipatory, emancipatory journalism Um can you define it for people? And how do you understand your own contributions in that field? For instance, is critique of black media or black capitalism or crypto even, is that emancipatory journalism or is it simply just being a hater? Well, my work at this point is largely just being a hater because <laughs> really the, 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 I gotta be honest because the reality is that uh, as I understand the work, and I'm getting this again originally from Hemant Shaw, uh, um, an article he wrote in 1996, uh, in which he he was what he was basically what he was saying was that all of the prevailing wisdom around quote unquote developmental journalism or civic journalism or all the the the, the more liberal notions of of the role of journalism in, in society were ignoring the colonial context and were not being derived themselves from among the colonized. So he was saying emancipatory journalism was, an, uh, I simplify it largely to say it's a, it's a philosophy of journalism that says those who are in organized struggle produce media and journalism that honesty, honestly and with principle and research and, and uh, uh, substance presents an argument that justifies their organizational work and encourages other people to join it. So it is it is decidedly anti-colonial, but the, that important component and why I'm, I'm saying I'm not fully adhering to it is that you really are supposed to be a, an active 
member of, a, of an anti-colonial organiza organizational effort producing your work as a part of that uh, almost exclusively. Uh, and to the extent I think that anyone is outside of that role, um, you move you know, more into critique and haterism. Uh, as much as I'm a proud hater and, and think of it in, a, in its most positive sense. But but ultimately, I do, you know, it is sliding farther away from what is, I think, you know, true about emancipatory journalism. So um, it's perfect. And I think it is helpful in terms of understanding a, a black press or media or for anyone to assess media that claims to be representing their interests to what extent is the media being produced by those radically organized to materially change your lived experience? Uh, and if it's not, you can make use of it, you can enjoy it, you can whatever with it, but you, I think you have to recognize it as not participating in, in that emancipatory project. Um, uh, so I, I, I think it makes it easier because it makes it easier to go from saying, hey, I like this pr black press story because it's showing a positive portrayal of black people in some way. But I also have to be real that it's not advocating, it's not representing a certain emancipatory, it's not, it's not advocating freedom, and it's largely probably doing this in a, in a way that will still allow it to attract white advertising revenue. Uh, <laughs> which I think has to be much more of the lens we people use to, to assess uh, media targeting them. Because that's actually a point to, that we, I didn't fully address earlier. When you ask what is black media, we always have to, and again, I get a lot of this from, from Dr. Burroughs, Todd Stephen Burroughs, who led me into this years ago, is that black media have to be understood as is it black media that's owned by black people, but maybe still black capitalist and commercial? Is it black media that's white owned, but targeting black people? Is it black media because it's variously owned, but has black people in it? So in other words, is Byron Allen's weather channel black media <laughs> because it's owned by a black man, but doesn't have black people in it? Is it targeting necessarily black people? Like that has to be part of the assessment. And then when you when you look at it through an emancipatory journalistic lens, you can more easily clarify what is what. Uh, um, and I think that's important and harder to probably to do now than ever. Yeah, I do. I just I do see that this, the distinction that you made. Um, yeah, those are big. Those are major distinctions, though, um, as far as writing and then writing for a purpose, um, especially if the purpose is to get people into organizations, get people organized. I think that's distinctly different from just reporting. Um, but yeah, that question about black media, I think could also be extended to like, what is the black community? Because <laughs> I think that that's a struggle in itself. Like when we talk about, you know, community, who are the people that we're speaking about? Um, to what extent, to what end? Um, you know, because we're not a monolithic group. So, and, you know, and everybody don't, <laughs> everybody don't have the same aspirations for liberation. Um, um, so, and speaking of, that's great, because I do have one last question um, for you. You have countless hours of work being critical of cryptocurrency. Um, but for me, I know people like, give me shit about that. But I do see that as a natural progression of your work. From I mix what I like to miss a black biopower to the research you've accumulated and provided on cryptocurrency, would you say that the underlying theme of the work that you do or the work that you're trying to accomplish has been political power? And if so, can you explain how that may correlate with your latest project, the After Party? So yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm glad. I don't. In terms of my limited amount of work in this world, I, I think the critique of cryptocurrency is exactly, as you said, logical. It's a logical extension. I don't see how anybody would be confused by that because the whole point for me has always been, going back to I mix what I like, uh, how does the messaging not comport with the material reality? That that's the underlying theme of actually everything, probably everything that I do. And so I don't approach buying power, entertainment, 
uh, uh, cryptocurrency through as an expert necessarily in those uh, particular fields or areas, so to speak. But I'm looking at them in terms of how they're messaged and how they don't, how those messages often don't relate to the lived experience materially. So, you know, a lot of it through hip hop early on was, hey, hip hop has liberated us. It's browned the country. It's led us to Obama. It's created a multi-billion dollar in annual industry. And I, and I kept saying, okay, but the South Bronx is literally poorer today than it was in 1970. The, the black community still has nothing like what, you know, Latin America is, I mean, you know, whoever has contributed to hip hop is no better off. Uh, and the only people that seem to have money are a handful of artists and, you know, a handful of the colonized and then a whole bunch of white folks. Like, the, in, in the, so the same thing, buying power. I'm not an economist, I, I, but the messaging kept saying, we're doing better. You can get free. You can do this. You can use your money. You can da, da, da. Little bit of research later and a look at the, again, the lived reality. It's not mess, matching up. Same thing with crypto. Invest and we can Bitcoin our way to liberation. And I'm like, okay, a little bit of research and the same patterns exist. Accumulation of wealth, organization of the messaging, talking points, same bullet point talking points, propaganda, you know, psychological warfare organized, you know, multi-force, multi-level messaging, multi-force multiplication, multi-level messaging, whatever. All of those things are happening. So I and, and and again I look at the data or um uh uh out my window and I see the conditions are exactly the same. So I, I you know I go back to again where I started with the a colonial analysis uh, and, uh, and and it reaffirms it. It doesn't contradict it. The colonial lens suggests just these patterns will occur. They will reaffirm each other. So it's not like, again, as I saw once explained of the dialectic, it's not that your your the, the wheel uh, hits the ground and is not moving in the exact same spot, but that line on the tire ends up on the same spot, even as the tire has rolled ahead uh, on, on, the, on the, the surface. So in other words, it's not exactly the same, but we see, still have a lot of the same repeating uh, and predictable outcomes. So and that's really it. And and uh, so I go back again to the point of the only way I've understood the issue and, and those I've tried to study have argued the issue is that if you want to end the colonial relationship, the colonized have to be organized and there has to be uh, a variety of confrontations. So with the after party, I'm simply arguing that that it be this sort of electoral confrontation. If we're going to vote, if we're going to engage in electoral politics, we have to do so. Uh, it, regardless of the party we engage or the topic or the politician uh, as an organized base or organized population clear about its situation and clear about its goals and clear about the platform planks it wants to support and how it and how it wants to engage its electoral strength to the extent it exists. Um uh, other, in other, in other words, to sort of break the pattern of lesser evil voting, of single issue voting, of all the other forms of manipulation that I think occur as we're constantly told the only pathway to freedom is through the vote, um, which is obviously questionable. So that's that's sort of how I've tried to streamline my th thoughts on that, you know. Yeah, and then I was thinking too that um, just even based on your work, that, like the people or the mechanisms used to push people to vote has been, you know, the buying power has been now the people who are promoting cryptocurrency, like you know, so it's the same sort of circle of people. Like when I make the criticisms, when I write about, um, it's not so much uh, a celebrity-driven thing because pundits two are now celebrities like Joy Reid is practically right. a celebrity in my household right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let my mother tell it so um right. you know, now, we have, <laughs> now we have all these um you know these people that are filling in taking up spaces um so that's that language of representation the first black uh, I was just showing my cousin earlier today a, a 
a clip of Kamala Harris, right? Um, and I was like, what, what does she even be talking about now? Like, <laughs> what does Kamala Harris even say now? Um, like, it's like two different Kamalas, in a sense. It's like pre, <laughs> pre-election and post-election Kamala Harris. Um, but then to what extent are we better off? Like, New York City's increase in rent is 3.5% by, by October. And wow. there's a black man. Yeah, there's a black man. <laughs> you know, so like this, when you said the South Bronx, was, <laughs> I just came from the South Bronx. Like I was just in Castle Hill yesterday. It don't look no better. <laughs> it looks the same. Wow. Uh, right. So I don't know. But real how quick, real quick. How Castle Hill and all these rappers are from, from that area. But the area itself still negates that sort of criminalization of the youth. They have no, you know, they have nothing really for those kids out there. Um, and they're like over police. There's no jobs. So like the situation has not gotten better, but there are a lot more people coming from the South Bronx that are releasing videos and trying to get put on because that seems to be the only trajectory because there are no jobs for these kids. So like for your argument about like, you know, what hip hop has not done, there's a lot of things that that are supposed to be liberating for us that has not done because I don't yeah. think people are grasping things at the roots or they're perfectly okay with surface level, like, you know, increment, um, you know, small wins. So let me just say, I just want to try this quickly. What is the messaging? How are they justifying a rent increase right oh, now? Oh, they're not even like, bothering justifying. <laughs> not in that sense. No, they're not even trying to give a, a reasonable, I mean, outside of, you know, the landlords, like, because they have not increased rent in a, quite some time, it has been an issue for them. Oh, they got to make up for the COVID. Right. So they yes. have to make up the difference. Wow. And then with the, what happened in the pandemic with the rent freezes and things like that. So they're trying to make up the difference with the increases. But most of these landlords are corporate entities anyway, these days. So it's like, it's not like it's a, a face-to-face person. They, they will have managers for the places, but you're not meeting and of course if they're, like you used to. <laughs> and of course, if they're not corporate entities, it's 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 encouraging that they go after their lost revenue from the poorer like yes. downstream as opposed to anywhere up. Like they're not going or to the people they sell your own house. and saying, yeah, right. Yeah, or sell your like, house wow. while they're still in there. <laughs> and, and yeah. So that's, that's also been going on. But yeah, they're not really trying to justify. I don't think they're, uh, I think we've reached a point that they're, they don't care to justify anything. Like they're not trying to make that's excuses deep. for what they're not doing. Like we that's have deep. not seen a stimulus check that was promised to us since January of last year. And nobody feels the need to speak to that or say anything about that because you know, it's over. You know what? I, that's <laughs> deep. I, that's really yeah you're right i don't hear that i don't even hear that being raised anymore you're right no, anyway, so i didn't mean to take us down that I, that was no 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 but i mean that's part of your your about the after party because i I think it all like i i i value your work i know you think i give you a hard ass time and sometimes i do maybe <laughs> maybe i do but i do value your work um because i think it set me on a path to think, to think about things differently. And I've since engaged different things and, you know, expanded the way that I look at things um, because I've been introduced to that book. I know that, you know, Mitz is your, your great work, <laughs> but, um, but this first book, I really felt like if you read that and then read, you can see there's a through line of your work. And then with the cryptocurrency and the things that you're doing around that, it's the same sort of, um, I guess it is it's an extension of Glenn Ford, for me, it is an extension of Glenn Ford's Black Misleadership, like the writing that he did on it and then the scholarship that you do on the figures. It kind of helps, it helps me understand and explain neocolonialism. You know, it helps me understand, explain it to my nephews and stuff, like when they talk about artists and, and when they talk about these things. So I value that and I think that if we're talking about these characters and this buffer class and these neocolonial, you know, uh, foot soldiers, basically, if we're talking about them, then the point of talking about them is for, you know, political power, or it should be that we should start, you know, breaking away from these things um, instead of doubling down or seeing ourselves as it. Because I do notice, like, you know, when you mention what is black media per se, 
is it Byron Allen? But people will go to go for that for Byron Allen because you know he's he's one of us in that sense. He's and when like, he went to the Supreme Court, he ran that line or that right. lie. That was you know so they'll claim it on our behalf. You know when Puffy wants to get when he went on his Revolt TV corporate uh, uh, money grab, he ran the whole thing. Black media is being underserved by the corporate advertising, the white advertising, and it's like now you like like when did like Puffy? Where is all this black radical? Like when are you the Monique did it too with her Netflix deal? Where Monique she did it too with her Netflix deal. Where I would like people that I knew was telling me they were paying Monique pennies, and I'm like, it's one million dollars pennies. <laughs> like, so I get it. Of, it's not what's her face's money. Yeah, she no, uh, it's what's not. Name? It's certainly not the white. But, but I think that I think so long as we continue to do that well, what about the white people? You know that that sort of leads to how we get trapped into supporting things we shouldn't be supporting necessarily. Our beloved Morgan State. Any of these people fight for fifteen. <laughs> hey. I don't recall hey. that one ticket sign, or I've never seen any of these people fight for fifteen. But somehow their fight becomes ours, and I think what your work does is sort of expose why because they can't attack above. <laughs> like, like that's I, not what they hold. Yeah, they can't. No, they can't. And we have to be, I think we do have to be, uh, like, analytically, I do think we have to be fair to them in, in, in judgment. Like, they can't, even as we, you know, struggle with their behavior. But like I was to say, you know, our beloved Morgan State, you all have done great work on the role of Morgan and HBCUs and all of this. Uh, but the public messaging is we are serving black people. We're right. doing what others won't do for black people. And it's like, well, it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, when you hear the celebrities who have not gone to college or haven't gone to school, one of the things that they always say is that they would go to HBCU just for the aesthetics of it. <laughs> like, you know, they want to be a part of the band. They want to go to the football game. They want to go to homecoming. They right. love the aesthetics of an HBCU, which is why nobody really digs deep into exactly what's going on at HBCUs. I mean, I know for hey, all my nieces that yeah. go to what A and T and Howard and um, you know, this is the HBCU household <laughs> right in here. Um, but they've gone because of that aesthetic. You know mm -hmm. what it means to be a Howard Bison, what it means, you know, but not necessarily because of anything academic. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily anything that they seen, you know, academic. But they, you know, the prestige of it, the what it's what it's known for, um, but it has as many cracks and holes as a PWI, if not, you know, I guess we could argue it's probably more insidious in that way because it looks like us, so we don't expect it. That's, that. you know, the, the I'm still getting the responses to my, my project on that. And I, and, and I don't think, I don't think any of them to your point, make mention of, you know, I went there because I knew I could pursue this this sort of political or intellectual or or or, or any sort of educational program. It was, you know, my mama went there, my daddy, I got, you know, everybody's an alpha, everybody's a delta, I wanted to do this, the step, I wanted to be around black people. And I get all of that. I mean, right. it, it, I do like, honestly, I mean, I do like that I don't have to, I don't directly have to interact with any white person. I do tell, right. I mean, it is, it is, you know, I it, I enjoy it. Yeah. But, but, but. We I, that can't be confused into some liberationist project either. No. Uh, and then and then it's still a bunch of and then actually if anything it reminds of the neo colonial aspect of it because damn like it's all these black people and all this stuff is going wrong. Right. Um, and then I think so. about like if they're going and students are going into into these schools with that mindset and then they're getting like trained and sculpted and sent out <laughs> to you know go work for Raytheon and go work for like you know go work for Africom. Um, so, yeah. So they asked, I remember, I mean, you know, Kip Ward went to Morgan and I got that email years ago now, but they said, would you help construct a communicative, you know, con construct messaging to positively spread the message of AFRICOM, something like that. <laughs> and I just said, I don't think we should be doing this. Like I was like, should, I, even, I didn't even say it that hard. I remember I just raised the question, should we even be doing this? Because the question was, how will we shape this message for, I think it was Raytheon or, or Lockheed Martin. 
in relationship to AFRICOM, something about AFRICOM was the point. And, and, and I remember just asking, should we do this? Not, you know, even getting into let's not, let's have an, just should we be doing it? And I got, and that was the last message I got on the whole project. Yeah, I was going to say, they put you right off the list, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it took you right off. <laughs> Delete, <laughs> let's move on. Um, but yeah, so the, 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 anyway, but, but just, just to, to you know, to circle back, I mean, that's the point. That's the level of thought that is put into all of the messaging and the communication around everything. And best believe that for all the emails that I would have seen or my colleagues would have seen, there were other emails going to other outlets saying, how can we create, you know, how can you write this into your script? How can we create a nice commercial? Hey, you over there, can you create, you know, they have an endless budget. So, I mean, they're just reaching out and throwing money all over the place to get. And then even to the point you were making about um, um, the, the videos being made uh, out of the Bronx and by, by celebrities, et cetera, this all of the, what we're talking about reaches down to these YouTube streets and these podcast streets and all these, these streets, uh, um, you know, where people that aren't even one just by chasing algorithmic advertising already sets people up in one thing but if you want sponsors and and if you want real support for your your media you got to shape yourself to these to these projects and a lot of people's channels are blowing up and being funded by these entities um sometimes on the low sometimes not uh that encourage a seemingly an astroturfing of the media environment, really. Like it seems like all oh, these organic things are popping up and whatever, but um, uh, just as often they're they're the tentacles of all this elite money and manipulating money and 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 the colonial project is 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 found. It's right there. Right, and then with all the information about how much the state is involved in every single social media space, um, we we need to also be more a little more mindful. Um, because we don't know what exactly, like, you know, we can't really pinpoint unless we do the power mapping ourselves, um, who's responsible, where the money's coming from. Like, there's a host of debates people get trapped in for days online, and then the source of the debate is so, like, when you see where it started from, it's like, you know, we could have just ended this three days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, but I think there is a whole a whole thing to manufacture that sort of thing. And I do think, I know I give people shit about, you know, that's, that's a distraction and all that. But I do think well, online, there's more validity to that. There are things that I do see are probably set out in motion to be the distracting, uh, you know, thing. Because for the Well, I remember years I- ago, like I know his birthday just passed years ago. Kwame Ture said he understood. Like if if he was the enemy, he would be surveilling him too. Mm-hmm. You know, like he you know he would have put himself. And 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 by now, obviously, I mean if if you know we, I think this all the time. If if I was them, I'd be doing all the stuff and more probably that they're doing. Um, <laughs> the sock puppeting, wouldn't you? I mean, like how easy would it be to create an account and drop online and and, and drop on somebody's timeline and be like, you know. You know, I don't know, you know, Kwame and Kruma ain't shit, you know what I mean? And, and then just watch oh, people fall apart. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. that for days. Yeah. So no, that's I, what I'm saying. Like, of course they would do that. And I would expect that they would do that. And that's why I keep saying it. I know it's vague and insufficient and you know better than I do. But it's, it's I think really the, at this in, in these media spaces, our overt work should only be about the vague encouragement that people join organizations. Right. And then when you're in those spaces between protocol, being in work reg- regularly with people, you can start to more likely avoid all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the only option we have. You're not, we're not going to be able to outmaneuver this online. No, that's not no. realistic. Uh, so, um, despite the claim and that's part of the same consistent messaging just like rappers used to tell me uh i don't need sony in anymore because i can drop a mixtape um and and hit the streets on my own or then it became i don't need them anymore because i can go online and i can put my joint online i don't need them anymore and it's like well it's like okay okay we got the mixtape you got the radio you got the internet 
you got these platforms. Oh, and what's happening? Oh, everybody's still broke. Everybody still get ripped off more than ever. Oh, the communities are poorer than ever. Oh, surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> right. um, maybe there's another problem. There's an underlying thread here that's not being considered because all the messaging keeps coming back with, you know, uh, um, you don't need to organize. You could just tweet. And you don't need to organize. You could just start a podcast and you don't need to this is the other thing and i'm gonna stop here that i've really seen the more i've paid attention over the last couple of years to youtube and whatnot you don't need to humble yourself and spend even years quietly going to meetings studying listening before even opening your mouth like that's not even a consideration anymore it's now it's, it's the exact opposite it's like oh i have one my very first thought I'm going to start a YouTube channel and a podcast and open up a stream and I'm going to get on this and I'm going to be on that. And then I'm going to catch a good algorithm and I'm going to be rich and famous. Right. Right. And that's ultimately the goal though. It's ultimately, I feel like that's what everybody, we are so deep into austerity policies that people just, you know, they're going to make more yeah. reactionary decisions with it. You know, it's going to be less, it's going to be more individualism and less about the collective because we're, we're being squeezed like that. And, as organizers, I mean, one of the criticisms that we can, I can self-criticize about is that we have yet to have built an apparatus to support those people that are being squeezed up, you know? So without nothing being built, then we, we ought to expect that people are just going to be more individualized and more individualized and more reactionary because we're, they don't have a space where <laughs> they can unpack that, they can build through that. We don't even have our own institutions yet. So... Look, you know this area a little bit, uh, at least, and and I know it's not it's not science, but uh, a few years ago when I I made a point of it, I said I saw for the first time in my life I saw white people begging on the corner in Howard County, Maryland, and I I was like, this is that was my doomsday alert right there. I was like, I've never a white family begging for money. I was in Howard County, Maryland. I said, yeah. that's, I said, it's a rap. I said, it's about, I said, I said, black people must just be anyway, obviously it's that much worse, but the, like, and it, this is the collapse is on us. Like this is the, <laughs> start reading revelations and everything. No, I'll just play. But like the, seriously, I was like, this is, this is bad. So you're right about the austerity thing. And um, right. um, so yeah, anyway. No, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you coming on because like I said, I value your work and a lot of what, how I try to implement it, or when I do tell people to read your books or read your work, a lot of it is so that we can start looking towards exiting, you know, looking towards the after party, even if it's not so much the electoral portion of it, there has to be some sort of building being done because um, it's just going to get worse and worse and we are severely out-organized. So we got to start thinking about what community control looks like, what does liberated zones look like, how do we obtain that? But I don't think that we can do any of that if we're not even understanding like the the subtle <laughs> colonialism or the mm. overt colonial tactics, um, which I think, you know, music is music and tweets are just tweets. And, you know, we're just here for the fun and everything is about joy, you know, because organizers apparently are joyless, <laughs> um, that it, it becomes less about what needs to be done and more about, you know, I actually don't even know what it's about right now. So that's why I, I value the work that you do because at least it pinpoints or you can sort of power map and track, okay, so this has always been a thing and this has always been going on and they adapt because the state fundamentally will always adapt. <laughs> Look, when I read years ago that there was payola in, in, in 19th century sheet music, I said, damn, these fools are not playing. Like, like, I was like, from, I, you know, these these fools are not playing. So listen, I, I, I thank you very much. I deeply appreciate you all as well. Uh, uh, you in particular, uh, the hard time you give me is, is, is appreciated. And, and, uh, um, and I just want to point out that I've been a fan of Hood Communist since before I even knew who you, that it was you. If uh -huh. you remember in our earliest, one of our early community, I wasn't, I could, I was, I was like, which is the which is which is is it 
which name is which and it turned out that they were both yours yeah and i thought hood communists both in politics and branding was brilliant uh so i appreciate you all and and wish you uh continued good work and success yeah Peace, y'all. That's a wrap for this week, but be sure to go check out the blog, hoodcommunist.org. We always got new articles on there every Thursday. It's good shit, revolutionary shit. Go read that. Take that in. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at hoodcommunist. We got kicked off Twitter for telling the truth, but we still kicking, talking our shit on Instagram. So go follow us and stay up to date with what we got going on. And lastly, if you enjoy what you heard today, if you enjoy what you see on the blog, be sure to share this with your people. Be sure to share it with somebody who you think might appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? Everything we do, we do it because we believe in the potential to transform society and we believe in revolution. So like I said, share that. And lastly, we always encourage our people to join organizations that are fighting for justice, that are fighting for liberation. If we could solve the problems in our society as individuals, we would have did that a long time ago. So yeah, take care of yourselves, man, and we'll see y'all next time. Peace.